Let's talk backpacking. Let's talk the Appalachian Trail. Let's talk about the Appalachian Mountain Club Connecticut chapter this morning, as we've got three folks here to talk about a number of things involving getting out in the outdoors. Michelle Bauman, the Appalachian Mountain Club Connecticut chapter program chairman, is here for today. We've got Alicia Sharamut, river steward with the Connecticut River Conservancy, and Eric Hammerling, executive director for the Connecticut Forest and Park Association, as he's doing a workshop presentation at this event that is coming up soon, which we'll be talking about today, too. Folks, good morning. Thank you for coming in today. And, Michelle, just give a little overview because we've got a lot of things to cover here for today. Where are we going today? Sure. Thank you, Wayne, for having us on the air today. Um, I've asked to come on the air because we're having an event called the Annual Gathering coming up this Sunday, and I wanted to be able to advertise that event. Um, the dinner ticket sales have already closed, but the event has a half-day program of a series of nine workshops and networking with other outdoor organizations and um, conservation um, organizations. So those those tickets are available until the 10th. And uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Appalachian Mountain Club, if I may. Um, we were founded in 1876. It's an it's an outdoor organization. It's an outdoor enthusiast organization, but at its very heart, it's a conservation organization. It was actually originally f formed in order to preserve the White Mountains in, in, in New Hampshire, and then its mission just developed from there. So the AMC promotes the protection, enjoyment, and understanding of the mountains, forest, waters, and trails of the Appalachian region and beyond, which is why, even though we're nowhere near the trail, we're a big part of it. We believe these resources have intrinsic worth and also provide recreational opportunities, spiritual renewal, and ecological and economic health for the region. And Eric, tell me what the Connecticut Forest and Park Association is and what is your connection or relationship to the Appalachian Mountain Club Connecticut chapter? Sure. Well, the Connecticut Forest and Park Association, just like the Appalachian Mountain Club, is a, an old, uh, respected organization. Uh, CFPA is actually the oldest conservation organization established in Connecticut. Uh, AMC was established uh, up in Massachusetts in 1876, New or New Hampshire, and uh, uh, CFPA was was established in Connecticut in 1895. Uh, part of the reason that we were established was to connect people to the land uh, and ensure that people appreciated forests, parks, uh, walking trails, and uh, open spaces of Connecticut. Our connection to AMC is actually a, a, a long one. We work very closely together with the Connecticut chapter. Um, you know, we'll be talking a little bit about the Connecticut Walkbook today, but uh, uh, one of the things that CFPA has done since 19. 29 is maintained the Blue Blazed Hiking Trail system of Connecticut. Um, we, we do that with a ton of volunteers. Many of our volunteers are also affiliated with the Connecticut chapter of AMC. Uh, so we do a lot of things together throughout the year. Um, and one of the things that AMC does, of course, in, in Connecticut, uh, and we work with them on this, is they maintain the Appalachian uh, Trail through the, the northwest part of our state. So uh, we have a lot of close connections, and we're very excited to be at the gathering this weekend. By the way, ripped from today's headlines, or at least last week's headlines, has the Connecticut 
Forest and Park Association had to do a little extra work in the last week or so because of all the trees that are down on or near trails from the big windstorm? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mentioned that uh, we have volunteers who are maintaining the trails. Uh, many of our volunteers are trained in things like how to properly use a chainsaw uh, because that is, certainly comes in handy uh, with trying to remove all the wood that is down uh, on the trails. You know, we want to make sure to keep them open uh, so that people get to have that great recreational experience. In fact, perhaps you can, Michelle, give a little description of the picture that you showed me moments ago here. That is an example of a tree that came down a week and a half ago. Well, this tree looks like its diameter has to be a good 8 to 10 feet, um, and it's got a bunch of people standing under it with their hands on top of it, so it looks like they're holding it up. But it's a big pine tree, and one of its... its um, limbs is what's actually holding it up it's what's called we call a, a blowdown and it, it it looks like it had split and 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 fell over and this is this is the at crew they would have to take things like this which are, another term from is a widow maker when it when it's precariously held up like that and the gravity could let go at any moment so their job is to to make you know firewood out of that and get it out of the way so nobody nobody uh gets hurt by trying to get under it now where was that picture taken um somewhere is on the appalachian trail up in the northwestern corner of connecticut in our small little segment in our small well it's about 25 miles that right but it just kind of clips the northwest corner of the state and goes up through mass and then uh, mm -hmm. i guess new hampshire vermont little vermont or all new hampshire uh, there is a section of it in Vermont yeah. that goes all the way up to um, Mount Katahdin, and, and I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, and Maine, and it goes all the way down to um, Georgia. And we're also joined this morning by Alicia Sharamut, River Steward with the Connecticut River Conservancy. Good morning, Alicia. What is the Connecticut River Conservancy? Good morning, Wayne. We are a nonprofit that works in all four states to conserve and protect the Connecticut River and its watershed. Um, it's a watershed of 11,500 square miles. Um, and I'm feeling like the young organization in the room because we were founded in 1952. Um, so we have been around for a long time. We recently changed our name. We were known as the Connecticut River Watershed Council um, until April when we changed our name. And, you know, a lot of people may wonder, well, why are we working with the Appalachian Mountain Club? Their land trails will actually the Appalachian Mountain Club is working on the Connecticut River Paddlers Trail with us. So they also do water trails. In addition, they have an amazingly developed paddling contingency um, here in Connecticut. They have flatwater paddlers and whitewater paddlers, and they do a lot to get people out on our rivers. So we really appreciate the Appalachian Mountain Club and the work that they do. And what is the state water plan? Where does that stand? So there is the getting right to the big stuff. Here. <laughs> there is a draft of the Connecticut State Water Plan that is out for public comment right now until November twentieth. This is the first time we have an integrated, comprehensive plan together for the management of our water. And, and this, this, the planning has been in the work for decades. This is not a new initiative. However, this is the first time we've put together, like I said a comprehensive plan that's out for public comment. Now, other states have this. I think I read 12 states have this. How does ours compare to theirs? Are we maybe becoming state-of-the-art as far as what we're doing to protect our water? Well, the great thing about this process now is not we're not doing it in crisis. So a lot of states did this in crisis. We're not doing it in, in a drought crisis. Which I would um, think tends to make you think maybe a bit more rationally or reasonably about things rather than knee-jerk reaction, we've got to fix this now. Right, right. And, and that is the benefit. Is it everything we hoped and dreamed it would be? No. 
However, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Um, we still, it's an iterative plan. There will be a plan every five years. We did not get to the hard stuff, hard stuff in the time we had to develop this plan. You know, one thing that I, I often will tell people is that Connecticut is rich in trees and trails and water. Mm -hmm. um, but as Alicia was saying, it's incredibly important to, before we are not rich in any of those resources, do what's necessary to plan for it uh, and ensure that we have it far into the future. It is one of our few, um, I'd say, competitive uh, advantages in Connecticut. When you think about uh, neighboring states, uh, we, we have those things in abundance, uh, and we have to do a good job of, ma of managing them so that we'll have them for a long time. Michelle had mentioned earlier the Appalachian Mountain Club's Connecticut Chapter Annual Gathering. This group doesn't have meetings, they have gatherings. It'll oh, no, be, we have meetings, too. You have meetings, too. So <laughs> what, oh, what's the difference between a gathering and a meeting, Michelle? A gather, the annual gathering is basically, uh, basically like a giant open house for everything to do with the outdoors. And it's a, it's a chance for people who don't know anything about us to come check us out. We, we are open to the public um, as, as well as membership. Um, there's two purposes for doing this gathering. Um, one, one, one big piece of our, our mission statement is about the education of, of, the, of, of the outdoors. We, um, we, want, to, we want to have people experience and, and, and learn about and fall in love with the outdoors because that's the best way to have them become conservationists that will fight to protect it when you know when the, the state wants to like start doing stuff and taking away our open spaces so the um the annual gathering is sort of like a fun thing whereas the meetings are the boring thing <laughs> <laughs> and the gathering the fun thing is this sunday at st clement's castle which is located on route 66 in portland is it safe to assume that castle is on the connecticut river yes it is it uh. overlooks the connecticut river up on some beautiful cliffs it's an absolutely gorgeous facility it's a wonderful place for us to have our 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 annual gathering and how appropriate alicia that you will be speaking at least doing a workshop presentation about the connecticut draft water plan you talked about what will be some of the things you'll be showing and telling people about at that gathering well i'll be talking a little bit about the process um how it came about um of course how people can comment um as well as the good things that people can comment on because you know it's always a good idea to applaud all of the good things that are in um, a, a 620 page plan <laughs> and as well as some of the things that need to be improved um, it, it even after this plan is um, adopted um, it there it would still be legal to dry up a stream in Connecticut and as long as we're in that situation we're not done <laughs> We have to address certain things to ensure that it is not legal to dry up a stream in Connecticut because mm -hmm. that's when we go from becoming water rich and having enough water for, for fish and faucet to being in, in a situation that um, will economically harm Connecticut as well as our quality of life here. Later, I want to explain that concept of what it means to dry up a stream in Connecticut. But mm -hmm. Eric, as uh, the executive director of the Connecticut Forest and Park Association, what will be your role at this gathering 
coming up this weekend. Well, I was asked to talk a little bit about the Connecticut Walkbook, which is something that CFPA has been publishing since the 1930s. Um, I mentioned that the the trail system started in in the 19 in 1929, and now has grown to over 825 miles of trails stretching all across the state uh, through 97 towns. Uh, it's an amazing resource, and we want to make sure that people don't get lost in enjoying it. So uh, the Connecticut Walkbook is full of maps of all 825 miles and a lot of information to uh, get you there and keep you safe. Michelle, can people just appear at this gathering on Sunday or are advance reservations required? We do prefer the advance reservations um, and they are available on our website. Um, you can you can get a link to Eventbrite from our website. Our website is um, ct-amc.org and from there, you can click on the Programs tab, and then the Annual Gathering tab, and Reservations is down at the bottom of that line. Um, the, the tickets to come to the half-day program is only $15, and you, you get networking with 16 different conservation organizations and, and businesses that, um, that help give us donations that you can win prizes for so it's another cool thing about it and it also gives you access to the nine workshops there will be three workshops offered each hour um, for three consecutive hours so you actually can't see all nine you have to choose so. so eric with all the trails that you have seen around the state have you got one or two that are your favorites sure well of course i'm tempted to just play to the home team here and talk about the Nipmuc Trail that goes through uh, stores uh, just east of the Yukon campus, runs along the Fenton River, speaking of rivers that at times run dry. Um, and, you know, that is a uh, that is a special place. We, we love the fact that it goes through, you know, from Mansfield Hollow all the way up to the Massachusetts border, um, is uh, kind of well-loved and used and a beautiful trail. Uh, my... my uh, Beyond the, the, the local, uh, also the, the Natchog Trail at uh, Goodwin Forest uh, is one of those special places that, uh, that I love. But, but let me tell you the one that's most personal to me, and, and that is the, the place where I have gone hiking with my son, who's now 18, for many years. Um, that's the Metacomet Trail um, you know, going up towards Hubline Tower uh, in Simsbury. Uh, some might have, if you've taken that uh, trip before, it's a it's a fairly steep climb, but once you get to the top, the views of the Farmington Valley are absolutely gorgeous. And uh, you know, around this time of year, to see the foliage and get the views of the valley uh, is something very special. But I think you know everyone has a personal connection to trails that goes beyond just the trail itself. And for me, it's the same. It's that connection to family uh, that really brings it home. And let me, along the same line, ask Alicia, being the river steward of the Connecticut River Conservancy, are there parts of the Connecticut River that you really like, you know, favorite parts of the Connecticut River? All of it. Um, I, well, I spend a lot of time in the floating meadows in the Matabasset because I, I do one of our big programs is water chestnut, which is uh, a, an aquatic invasive that is a problem in the Matabasset right now. Um, but, you know, there are so many beautiful spots on the Connecticut River, especially when you get up into the coves and the quiet areas. Crow Point Cove in Wethersfield is absolutely quiet and beautiful. There are bald eagles in there. Um, Selden Creek is absolutely gorgeous, quiet, um, a lovely little paddle through there. 
I, it, you're asking me to pick my favorite child, and that's just not fair. It's also not fair that I don't get to pick a place local like Eric did. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have the Connecticut River locally, so that's sort of a... Michelle, what do you got? Oh, I just wanted to say that the Connecticut isn't only in Connecticut. There's beautiful portions right. of it in Massachusetts. It goes all the way up. It, it divides Mass- uh, Vermont and New Hampshire, so there's more than just... The, when when you when you're asking her to choose her favorite sp- spot, she's only focusing on yeah. Connecticut because we're. That's where I spend all my station, time. Yeah, but yeah. There are uh, more. There are a lot of beautiful spots throughout all of it. Well, Alicia, have you done the entire Connecticut River all the way? What is it? The seventh Connecticut Lake, isn't that where it begins? Up on near, near the Canadian border. I'm embarrassed to say I have not paddled on the Connecticut River outside of. Connecticut yet yet <laughs> but you will I will I absolutely will. and I, I'm gonna find a way to get paid for it too <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's, let's talk about that who, who, who pays you to paddle a river anyway no I'm joking um, <laughs> but the Connecticut River Paddlers Trail is one of my programs so I should get up on that portion of the Paddlers Trail at some point because it is extremely well developed through New Hampshire and Vermont um, and as I said, we're working with the Appalachian Mountain Club to uh, expand that down through Massachusetts and Connecticut. Right now, um, the Appalachian Mountain Club has put a uh, Paddler's Trail site on Chapman Cove in Haddam. Um, they partnered um, with the Nature Conservancy on that. And that is the first dedicated Connecticut River Paddler's Trail site in Connecticut. The others are state campsites, which is wonderful, um, and it's wonderful to have uh, st- uh state park campsites on the Connecticut River, but it is a challenge for through paddlers because they have to pick two nights well ahead of time as to when they will be there and to reserve them. So um, to have those dedicated paddlers trail sites available at any time is is important. I have this image of you, Alicia, paddling in the northern part of Connecticut, maybe the Windsor Locks area. Well, there's some dams and locks up there. That might make it difficult, but you get to the mass border and you make a U-turn. <laughs> is that a fairly accurate representation? No, no, that that's never happened. Well, first of all, you have to paddle upstream from uh, the 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 mo- most northern boat launch in uh, Enfield, which can be challenging because it is not tidal in Enfield. Um, but that's something you always have to think about on the Connecticut River, south of Hartford. Is if you're going to go out for a paddle, is where where are the tides? Is it coming in, coming out? And people don't realize that it's tidal that far north. So, in other words, there's salt water as far north as Hartford. No. It's tidal. I'm thinking the, so tide, the, tides, the tides from Long Island Sound you're talking about, though, Yes, right? but it, the, the salt wedge um, does not go... It's brackish to about Essex. However, the wedge mm. will get as far north as Haddam, depending on you know, the, the, the lunar cycle and um, a lot of other factors. But see, you're using words I think some people, including myself, don't understand. Uh, the, the wedge would, would be the le- level of the water or at least the swell of the water that's being forced up because of the tidal rises and drops down along Long Island Sound? Well, no, the, the salt wedge being the, the sort of the salty part of the water um, because the salts, when you're mixing the, the fresh and the salt water, the salt water is heavier, it drops to the bottom, and that may go a little bit further than what we know is being brackish at the surface, um, but like I said, that, that surf- brackish water at the surface, is it, it ends around Essex. But the tides, meaning how the, the tidal portion, meaning there's a high tide and a low tide, that ends in Hartford. Where do I paddle if I want to see ospreys? 
you can paddle many, many places. <laughs> I've seen them in Wethersfield. Yes, there are a few osprey nests in Wethersfields. Um, there are m so many in the estuary. Um, the um, Great Island is a wonderful paddle. Um, starting from Smith Neck Boat Launch there, you can paddle all the way around Great Island, and there are so many osprey nests there on Great Island. And Eric, equal time for critters for you. Uh, on your walks and hikes around the trails of Connecticut and maybe beyond, what critters have you seen on your exploits? Wow. Well, I have seen only one bear uh, at People's State Forest. Uh, you know, that's something that you typically don't want to see. Where is that? Uh, People's State Forest in Bark Hampstead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's one of those epicenters of bears in Connecticut, and we we have lots of them. Uh, but they're they're usually pretty shy. They hear you coming. They they will move along. Uh, have seen deer at, uh, along almost every trail that we walk on. Uh, again, if, if you're not making a lot of noise, that's when you see the wildlife. Uh, and also, uh, you know, the bird life uh, 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 on several trails, depending on when you go. If you're going early morning or later in the day, uh, you can really get uh, some incredible bird life on just about any trail. In fact, I, I walk the Greenway trails a lot, and I've seen a couple of owls. I saw, a, I believe it was either a barred owl or something like that on the Hop River Trail. And it was pretty close to the trail, and it just sat there on the branch for a while before it... Uh, uh, took a leak and turned around and flew away. <laughs> that's, just, that's really what happened that time. Yeah. And on that same, almost the exact same portion of trail, the Chronicle ran a story in August that talked about somebody was hiking that out by Parker Bridge Road and they saw a bear. I was out of town that week, but I saw the story. And Dave, first day I came back, I went on that trail. <laughs> so, you know, you talked about being careful around bears. Yeah. I was out looking for one. I Good wanted to you. see the bear. Good for I you. I have not seen one in all the walking I do. So I, I really respect that. And I and I, I have to say, I, you know, I, there are during different seasons, people will go out to see different things. So you know, a lot of times in the spring, we'll have people looking for you know wood frogs off to the side of uh, trails if they know there might be a vernal pool in the area. Uh, we have people who are looking for snakes at certain times during the year when they know that they might be sunning themselves along the trail. There are portions of the airline trail that have uh, a lot of snakes on them. Uh, there are people who go looking for turtles. I mean, it, it, that's uh, why the Blue Blaze hiking trails were actually set up in the first place. It was not just to have a place to walk. It was to have a, a way to experience the outdoors in a safe way. Uh, you know, it was not just wandering aimlessly through the forest. It was having a place that's actually blazed to get you in and to get you out. Um, and along the way, there are so many things that you can see. And, and I'm glad you're taking full advantage of that. Um, glad to know that uh, there are some people who run toward bears and not away from them. <laughs> well, I might have run after I've seen it. I'm not going to say I was going to go shake hands with it. But, it. but the other thing is that the person they quoted in the paper indicated that uh, they, they hid the other way and they did not take pictures. Well, I would have taken a picture before I turned and hightailed it the other way there. And Michelle, you looked like you had a story about that too. Oh, I just wanted to say that by the time you got out there, the bear would have been long gone, so you would have, might have benefited from coming to see one of our workshops, which is on wildlife tracking, because what would be left for you to see would be evidence of scat or, or footprints and stuff, and learning how to recognize those and to be able to t tell one from another. There are a lot of people who see, like, snow melt, the, the track that's been melted a while, and it looks l larger than it should have be because of the snow melt, and they mistake it for something else. And, you know, so this would be a great workshop to have you identify what you're, what you're actually seeing there. And also uh, uh, about critters, we're having a workshop at 115 and Prince Edward Ballroom 
um, B called entitled Counting Eagles on the Lower Connecticut River. Eagles are coming back. Uh, Leash has been doing a really great job of, of making the environment much more, you know, and uh, livable for the eagles, and they're coming back to Connecticut, and we're seeing a lot of them now. And that gathering is coming up on Sunday this at St. Yes. Clement's Kessel in Portland. And by the way, speaking, Eric, what you talked about, about some snakes along the airline trail farther mm-hmm. south, mm-hmm. I have show and tell for you here. The listeners hey. can't see it, but I'm holding it up for you. I've told this story on the air. But that is a five-foot, five I believe it's a down. northern water snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the bear, I didn't hightail it. I actually almost stepped on it. Yeah. I took about three steps and said, whoa, photo op. And I turned around and took that picture. Mm. It's right off the trail, and it's next to a body of water. So he probably came out to, I don't know, eat or sun himself and then head back to the water and so forth. But uh, this is non-venomous, not a dangerous snake. But I've seen a couple of those on these trails as well. So that's my little story is about seeing critters on the trail. They like to walk. They like to paddle. As we're talking about the Appalachian Mountain Club. We're talking about the Connecticut Forest and Park Association, and we're discussing the Connecticut River Conservancy. Alicia Sharamut is here, river steward for the Connecticut River Conservancy. Michelle Bachman, Appalachian Mountain Club Connecticut Chapter Program Chairman. And also Eric Hammerling, the Executive Director of the Connecticut Forest and Park Association, who has referenced this this morning, but he's quite proud of the walkbook. Tell me what's in the walkbook, Eric. Well, if you want to uh, find out a, a bit about any of the 825 miles of blue blazed hiking trails all around the state, the walkbook is kind of an, an essential guide. Uh, just in, in one book, uh, you have maps uh, of all of those trails. Uh, you'll be able to see surrounding areas on those maps, um, and it's the easiest way to get from point A to point B. Um, a, a lot of people like to, and uh, you, you may be the same way, in, uh, plan out their their uh, walk in advance. So they'll say, okay, I'm looking for something that is a, a loop, and I'm looking about this uh, length, uh, and you can do that all in advance by uh, having the walkbook, and then you could uh, stick it in your hip pocket if you have a big hip pocket, uh, and bring that along with you. That's a big hip pocket you got there. It's a pretty thick book you got, which tells you there's a lot of information in there. Eric, are you like me that there's days when you start off on a walk and you say, I'm going to do four miles today? And you're out there, and you have such a great time. You wind up doing five or six, something like that. It happens to me all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and, and most of the Blue Blaze hiking trails are actually linear trails, not necessarily made into loops. So a lot of them you're going out and back. That just means you go out a bit further than uh, you were originally hoping to. You know, I'll, I'll typically look for, you know, what are the places where I can get the best views? Um, and then if the views are inspirational enough, I will keep walking um, and find other things to see along the way. How do people get a copy of the walk book? Well, it's available through uh, our website at, at ctwoodlands.org. It's available on Amazon, uh, and at, uh, all recreational outfitters sell it as well. Uh, you know, Because this is the 20th edition, we certainly have been doing this for a, a long time. We think it's a great book, fantastic holiday gift, I might mention, um, and you know, some, something that uh, we would say everyone who loves to walk should have. Now, I'm seeing on the website here, the ctwoodlands.org website, the interactive map of all the Blue Blaze trails and the other trails we have in Connecticut. 
Do you think, Eric, in 25 years there'll be more on this map than I see right now? Oh, I think so. In fact, uh, you will probably in 25 years be able to see yourself on that map. Uh, no, no matter where you are, there will be a little red dot that follows you around. Uh, that's one of the things that you know we will probably be either phase two or phase three of the interactive trails map that we have on our website is to be able to locate yourself because one of those uh, <laughs> questions that's pretty frustrating to get at our office is someone calling us from the woods saying, "I'm lost. Uh, <laughs> how do I how do I get back?" And, and actually, our office manager, Terry, has been amazing at uh, being able to talk people through, uh, you know, are, are you uh, going uphill or downhill? Do you know which way is east or west? Uh, you know, it, when's the last time you saw a blaze on a tree to guide you the way? Um, she receives, uh, unfortunately, a number of those calls uh, throughout the year. And, you know, we would love to minimize that, uh, both by having better blazing, uh, but also eventually by having people be able to use the online resources to find where they are along the trails. Is it the CFPA that actually sticks that blue stuff on the trees, the blue blazes the trails? That's right, yep. Our volunteers uh, do do that work. Um, if you are going out and, and you see uh, that rectangular uh, blaze, you know, it's a light blue blaze on the tree. Signed up a dollar. Uh, it, yes, and, and uh, Michelle said it absolutely right. It, you know, if, if you want to test someone's blazing to see how good they are, uh, pull out a dollar bill. Put it right up there. It should be just that size. That that's the um, kind of standard size for for a blaze. Um, and you know, those are the things that get you uh, along the path in and out of the forest. How do you define blue blaze? Is that just the name of a trail, or is there something that has to be done to meet the criteria to become part of a blue blaze trail? Yeah, well, uh, all of the blue blaze trails are trails that uh, you know CFPA and its volunteers take responsibility for. We we say forever. Um, and so that's a, a special designation. The actual color blue is something that is standard throughout the, the system, and it was developed in uh, the 1920s by Edgar Hermans, who was kind of the, the father of the uh, trails system. Um, he did this really great test where he painted a number of different uh, logs with different colors and uh, I think had a few beers uh, and <laughs> had, a, had a, stayed late into the night looking at which uh, of those blazes would show up for the longest. And they found that the light blue blaze actually showed longest into the night. Uh, so that became the blue blaze that now you find throughout the system. And here I always thought it was just because our flag, the Connecticut State flag, is blue. I thought that's why we, because you guys are the Connecticut State Forests and Parks, I thought that was why it was blue. Nope, nope. <laughs> it was it was all about the color and, uh, you know, being able to see it late at night. Um, you know, of course, we would encourage people not to go out late at night and test that. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, or have uh, beers on the trail. <laughs> right. you get lost. There's no That's one in the right. CFPA office at that <laughs> time. Right. We have <laughs> advertised, uh, you know, brews and views, uh, but not necessarily in that order. We we say first get the views, then have the brews. <laughs> and uh, Michelle with the Appalachian Mountain Club Connecticut chapter, how much of the Appalachian Mountain Trail have you actually done? None in Connecticut. I've done portions in Massachusetts, portions in Vermont, and per- portions in New Hampshire. With the ultimate goal to eventually explore or expand your horizons more all the way down to Georgia? Um, no, not for me, unfortunately. I've had too many 
injuries and I'm getting too old for something like that, that's not that's she's not, not for me. Folks, she's not I'm that a old. day hiker. <laughs> yeah, a day hiker in and out. So but, you, you but, do the overnight camping thing, which by the way, let's talk about that. That you can do that on the Appalachian Mountain Trail. Oh, There's yeah. huts along the way. I've mm-hmm. seen the Lake of the Clouds hut up at the top of Mount Washington or near the top. Anyway. My 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 style's more like the lodges, <laughs> like the Show Dodge Show Dodge Lodge and things like that. You know, nice comfy beds and warm cooked meals and. <laughs> she wants a Marriott. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want a Marriott along seen, the trail. I, 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 any I of those on the trail. the rugged nature of it. I don't want a Marriott there, but I'm, I'm just too old for that at this point. <laughs> you know what? I should mention as we're talking about uh, National Scenic Trails in Connecticut, that we actually have another one as well, and that's we, the, the New England National Scenic yeah. Trail, which runs right down the center of the state. I mentioned the Metacomet Trail, which is uh, you know how folks are probably used to referring to it, or the Matabesit Trail is another section of the New England Trail. It now has the Monunkatuck Trail connecting to it that goes all the way from uh, Long Island Sound up through the center of Connecticut, all the way up to New Hampshire um, uh, and the uh, Massachusetts-New Hampshire border. I bring it up because, of course, that's a wonderful partnership uh, between CFPA, the Appalachian Mountain Club, who maintains the New England uh, National Scenic Trail in Massachusetts, and the National Park Service, who uh, kind of pulls it all together and is that wonderful partner. So Another uh, way we partner is our people do the hikes and scouting of the trails and we report the load downs or if there's abuse like people doing ATV work and things like that and mudslides and stuff we'll report them so and and we hope in the future we'll we'll be able to come back Wayne and talk about um, what'll be a new connecting trail uh, an east-west trail that connects the New England trail to the Appalachian trail that's something kind of uh, we we have been knitting it together uh, quietly uh, and when it's actually blazed on the ground, uh, hopefully within the next few years, we'll be able to have that great announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're invited back anytime you want, Eric. That's not a problem at all. Thank you. That, that north-south trail you talked about, I'm looking on your map here. Is that the one that goes through Avon and New Britain and Southington? That's right. Down toward Brantford, that neck of the woods? Okay. Yep. Yep. And on this map, and you're talking to a guy that knows every inch of the Greenway trails around here, the Hop and the Airline and the Willimantic River Trail, I don't see those trails. So these are apples and oranges. They're both in the same category, but they're not really like a greenway trail, are they? Well, what you're talking about are the smaller conservation organizations, such as um, East Haddam Land Trust, you know, you know, like the airline trail. That is part of the East Coast Greenway system. So there are different organizations, and all of those organizations, well, not every single one in the state, but those are the people that we network with that we invite as our exhibitors to the Appalachian Mountain Club. And Eric is just the Connecticut blue trails that are owned by that particular organization right yeah and and uh i, I shouldn't even say they're owned by us we, well, we certainly yeah. maintained by by us and and volunteers uh, but the only thing that you'll see on that interactive map on on the ctwoodlands.org uh, website are just the blue blaze hiking trails but mm-hmm. but as you said there you know the airline trail is is actually a state park uh and and a trail and that's uh, a, a linear multi-use trail um, we're, we're just focusing on walking trails, um, and those are the things that you'll see on, on that website. And I heard somebody during the news refer to the Lyman Viaduct, which was one of the more unique parts of the trail, if you know the story behind it. Who's got the Lyman Viaduct story here? Is that Michelle? That's uh, Michelle. Well, I could tell you what I know about it. It was originally a metal structure, and they had trucked. It was a, a, a piece of a train trail, which that's what rail trails are. They're defunct r- train trails. And they would bring in the, the piles of debris to, to fill it in and just 
they'd stop on the viaduct and just dump the debris. And so now it's, it's all earthen, but at one time it was a metal structure. And as you're hiking there, you can actually see pieces of the metal sticking out of it. So that gives you a, like a little peek back into history. It's amazing to walk across that because now they've filled it all in. But to see what it was like in the 1800s, to, to see the, the trestle they had, mm-hmm. and it's not even like it's over a big river. It's over Dickinson Creek. I think it's like 100 feet high or something like that. But it's not like it's over the Connecticut River or the Willimantic River. Dickinson Creek is a relatively small body of water, but there's a big canyon there, and they right. used to have this huge trestle across it. And they decided it got too uh, the trains got too big and heavy when they started carrying freight, and they said, we can't keep the train going across that so they filled it and it's one of the the more unique there's another one the Rapallo viaduct too which is farther west of there toward east hampton so those are just some of the examples of some of the cool places we can see around here alicia let me go back to you as the river steward with the connecticut river conservancy and i said i wanted to get back to this and i do you said it's it's still is it still legal to dry up a stream and what does that mean we, we we've got streams around here plenty of them including some of the cross those trails we talked about how do you dry up a stream Well, back in the mid-1980s, the state um, decided that we needed a process for water rights in Connecticut, as in how much water people can take from either uh, a groundwater source or surface water. And at that time, um, they had to figure out what to do with people who already had rights to that water. So when they developed their diversion regulations, which would... um, which would develop a permitting process for water diversions, which means taking water out of a stream or the ground, they decided that the people that already had the water rights, they they would grandfather them in. So whatever amount of water they were using or had used at any point, they would have the rights to. So they would register that amount of water for that source and for where they were going to use it. Now, there was never any environmental review on those diversion amounts. So there was never even a check to see if there was that amount of water available from that source. So the people who have these uh, um, registered diversions have a legal right to take the amount of water that they registered for. And sometimes that's more water than the source can provide, especially during droughts or low water time. So until we can get a good, um, until we can address the impacts that these registered diversions have on these sources, we don't have a really good decision-making process for managing our water. So it's something we need to really focus on going forward in this next five-year process before the next plan to you know, either regulate these, these diversions or find a way to ensure that they can't dry up a stream. Does the Connecticut River Conservancy have a position on this? What would you like to see happen? Well, Massachusetts right now is making an effort to regulate their registered diversions because they're in a very similar situation. And one thing I forgot to mention is that um, by registrations, 80%, that's 80%, are registered. So only 20% of our our diversions have had an environmental review. Um, and, and Massachusetts is, as I said, in a similar situation. They are working towards trying to regulate these diversions um, and it's going to be a several year process for Massachusetts. I think we can learn from it 
And our position is that it should not be legal to dry up a stream, and we need to find some sort of resolution to this problem. Alicia, how did you first get involved in this organization? Have you always been like a kayaker, a paddler, or a lover of rivers? What's your connection? I began as an angler. I'm a fly angler. Um, I, my advocacy started with uh, the Connecticut, or with Trout Unlimited. Um, I was very involved in the Farmington Valley chapter and very involved when the uh, proposal to bring water to the University of Connecticut from the MDC sources in Farmington um, was presented and we all stood up and said, wait a second. Why is it okay for, because they have the water here and they need it there just to do it without any, you know, any formal process. So that's what sort of kick-started the water planning process. And I was involved through Trout Unlimited in um, developing the, the statute that directed the state, the Water Planning Council, to do this plan and have been involved um, in the process since then. Michelle, I asked Alicia how she got involved in the Connecticut River Conservancy. What was it that first got you involved with the Appalachian Mountain Club? Oh, I love hiking. I've always hiked. Um, my, I'm the youngest of a family of seven kids, and uh, my, I'm the only girl, so my parents were very involved in Boy Scouts, and the Scouts did a lot of um, trips hiking, going up um, Mount Washington, Mount Menandoc, um, you know, any uh, most most of the presidentials actually in the 70s. So as a child, I was exposed to that, and as an adult, I um, I'd always heard about the through hikers, the Appalachian Mountain um, Trail through hikers when we did those hikes with the scouts, and I always wondered, you know, what is this AMC? So as an adult, I happened to have found it. You know, sometime during my growing up years, I'd totally forgotten all about them, but I found it as an adult and became. Uh, member and then within like a month or two I became a, uh, an excursions leader and then I got an injury to the knee and couldn't do the hikes anymore so they were looking for someone to take over as program chairman for the executive committee so I said hey that's me I still want to be a part of this and you know I, I, I've gotten so much out of being a part of this that I still want to continue to give back to it. You've got this big event that's coming up in Portland on Sunday the annual gathering which we'll talk about in a few minutes also but what other programs open to the public does the Appalachian Mountain Club Connecticut Chapter stage? Well, I do something called the Spring Dinner, which is a roast beef dinner at the Cheshire Grange um, in um, Cheshire, Connecticut. And there's always a speaker, a keynote speaker with that. And last year I added a new program called Vegetarian Soup and Stories, which came about because people were complaining that the Grange only does you know, roast beef, because, you know, a grange is related to our agricultural heritage. That's why it's connected to roast beef, but people are becoming more health conscious, and the vegetarians were saying they want more vegetarian options, and the grange isn't a restaurant. They're not going to give us many options. They would make, like, one lasagna, and there would be only enough for, like, ten people to eat. So they pushed for a new event. So I did this event at the uh, Lodge in Crandall Park, and we had um, Wick... Um, Griswold, who is now our keynote speaker for this Appalachian Mountain Club event. Everyone liked him so much that we decided to have him back again. But this year's um, Vegetarian Soup and Stories is going to be January 12th, which is a Friday. We're going to have our local Carolyn Stearns storyteller as the, um, as the entertainment person. And um, I don't have the soups lined up yet. Last year we had Monet's table, but she's going to Florida, so she cannot provide us soups during that time. So if anybody knows of any great local 
places that can cater really good, healthy, delicious vegetarian soups, please email me at uh, programs dash c. I'm sorry, it's it's ct dash amc programs, and let me know. <laughs> and I have her email address in case you missed that and you want to write me. We can pass that along. And by the way, it is Wick Griswold, right? Yes, it's not yes. Rick. It's Wick. Wick. It's short for Fen Fenwick. But he doesn't ah. like that, so he goes by Wick. <laughs> he is a professor of sociology at, I believe it's... Um, University of Hartford. University mm -hmm. of Hartford, yes. Mm -hmm. And he's also very much involved with the Connecticut River, which is how it kind of relates to the to the uh, AMC. I mean, because a lot of people at first were like, why would you pick him for the, um, for the keynote? Because he's a, a diversion from what we normally do. We usually have adventure, travel, or... Um, extreme survival type keynotes and uh, people were criticizing that this is a little bit more like fairy tales and bedtime stories but actually everything he's talking about is is uh, true history that happened in the Connecticut um, River area and he's it's, it is actually treasure treasure and treachery in the Constitution state so he's going to be talking about our, our pirate heritage along the Connecticut and Wick has actually written a book about the, the history of the Connecticut River as well. He's written several, about yes. five. Yes. <laughs> Very good. That would be Alicia, the river steward of the Connecticut River Conservancy. We've talked a lot about the, the, the rivers around Connecticut as well as the Connecticut River. Our buddy Mike Nelson from Charter Public Access wrote, Good show. I think about paddling the Connecticut River, but travel time cuts in on paddling time. And I haven't paddled everything in the last Green Valley yet. He's still checking those things off. But he says Norwich has brackish and tidal waters. We talked about that concept earlier on the Connecticut River. I've also seen osprey, nesting eagles, and harbor seals, only 15 miles from Willimantic. Can also paddle from Wyndham to Norwich, which I've done several times. I'm guessing he means downstream and not upstream, but I think people could do it upstream, too, if they work hard. The Chetucket and Thames River have a lot to offer. I love to sit in the kayak and look up at Yantic Falls. Good little travelogue there from our pal Mike <laughs> Nelson. Do you do that, sit in the kayak and kind of admire the Connecticut River, Alicia? All the time. Yeah. I mean, I, for example, I go out at Mansfield Hollow Dam on my kayak, and I'll get in the middle of the lake, and I'll just put the paddle on the kayak and just sit there and admire nature. It's a special place to be. Really, any place when you're on the water, but that's one place for me and for you on the uh, Connecticut River. Now, when it comes to, uh, to, to your work with the Connecticut River Conservancy, how are diversions regulated in Connecticut? There's a Connecticut Water Diversion Act of 1982. I think you talked about that early on today, but, but how, how are they regulated? So in order to uh, divert more than 50,000 gallons a day of water, you have to have a permit. Um, so you have to go through the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection to um, to be permitted to uh, to divert that water. And what DEP does is they look at the source, they look at what water is already being taken out, they look at how much water is in the source, and they determine whether that um, will uh, cause any environmental impacts from the withdrawal. Um, and, and as I said, only 20% of our total diversions, not in volume, but in actual um, singular diversions, are permitted. The rest are um, registered diversions, which are essentially grandfathered diversion amounts. And going back to Eric with the Connecticut Forest and Park Association, 
Eric, are you mostly just a day tripper? You talked about that earlier today, but I'm wondering if you've done any of the, the longer-term backpacking overnight, maybe even on the Appalachian Mountain Trail and staying in one of the huts along the way. I have to admit I'm primarily a day tripper. From, <laughs> from time to time I'll, I'll go on a, a, a trip outside of Connecticut where I do more days uh, on a trail. I, I have to admit that. Um, and, you know, so, for example, I've done a uh, you know, great overnight trip at Olympic uh, National Park out in the state of Washington and Yosemite and uh, Kings Canyon uh, out in California. I, I will do those kinds of things, but primarily in, in Connecticut, I have to admit I, I'm uh, focused on on work and uh, and exposing people to uh, the great trails we have here. Most people are not uh, doing the overnight version of uh, outdoor exploration. Most are doing the the day trips that I tend to do. Um, but, you know, I often find that folks want to see something really special within about 20 minutes of getting on a trail. And that's, uh, that's par- probably where most people are. Um, and you know, I will do something for a full day, but yeah, not typically overnight. Uh, you know, my my uh, my back is not really a big fan of that. And when I try to bring family members, they're not huge fans of that uh, as well. I, I, again, I this is full full true confessions uh, with Wayne Norman. <laughs> New information for the entire planet, <laughs> Michelle. Um, I just wanted to add because I was I'm, I'm starting to feel like you're you're trying to shame us a bit here because earlier you were you were sharing your very rugged adventure with the Grand Canyon and I just wanted to let you know that the well, that was 15 years ago when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that lately. <laughs> but I just wanted to let you know that the Appalachian Mountain Club, is a, their goal is to be a community which is comfortable, inviting, and accessible for people of any age, any gender, any race, any religion, any ethnicity, any ability, any sexual orientation or social and economic status. So, you know, w- we may not be the rugged you know, adventurers who are going to be doing the overnight on the trail, but uh, the AMC is open to all types and abilities and everything. So, <laughs> is there a membership fee? There is a membership fee. I believe when you join for the first year, you get you get a really great break. It's like twenty five bucks or something, and, and for students too, it's 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 always going to be cheaper. And then the next year, it goes up to like fifty dollars for an individual, or I think it's like seventy five for a family. It depends on which membership you want. If if you know, if you're a student, if you're an individual or a family. And Alicia, does the Connecticut River Conservancy have membership? And how, if so, how do people get involved in that? Absolutely. We are a membership organization, and we encourage anyone who um, has an interest in clean, free-flowing water to become members, um, whether you're in the watershed or out. Um, you can go to ctriver.org and click on Donate, and you'll see the different levels of membership there. Thought comes to mind, I remember the Hudson River was really a mess back in the 60s and 70s. I suspect the Connecticut River has also made great strides, as has the Hudson. Is it cleaner now than it was a generation ago? Absolutely. The Connecticut River was known as New England's most beautiful open sewer back in the (laughs) the 50s and 60s before the Clean Water Act. And I will mention that Connecticut was a pioneer in clean water regulations. We actually passed a Clean Water Act before the federal Clean Water Act um, came about. But it has made huge strides, especially most recently with wastewater treatment plant upgrades and uh, elimination of combined sewer overflows in Hartford. 
Well, there's an event coming up. It's called a gathering. The Connecticut chapter of the Appalachian Mountain Club has this event coming up on Sunday in Portland. It's open to the general public, and there is a lot of different programs going on. In fact, our guest this morning will be speaking at that, uh, including Alicia, who will be talking about the Connecticut Draft Water Plan, which she discussed earlier this morning. Eric Hammerling, Executive Director of the Connecticut Forest and Park Association, will be talking about the Connecticut Walkbook and connecting people to the land, and also Michelle Bachman, who's uh, the event organizer, has been with us this morning, and she is with the Appalachian Mountain Club Connecticut chapter as a program chairman. Lots of fun talking about the walks and the paddles around Connecticut. Folks, good to see you. Thanks for coming in this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you. If you'd like information about that event, you can go to our website, wyli.com slash am. Click on the morning show guest page, and the actual reservation link shows up on our website if you go visit there.